Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Wellman Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles. Hey, Ron. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm keeping it together. Been busy, but we're we're going one day at a time. And uh, COVID-19 still impacting your patients? (sighs) Yes, Ron. It's been a tough couple of weeks with the COVID-19. We're still seeing a lot of cases. Really? That's Mm -hmm. the uh, Delta variant? The Delta variant, which is so highly contagious. So yes, we are seeing a lot of cases. We've had several patients hospitalized, mostly unvaccinated folks that are getting severely ill still at this time. So and we're still encouraging the vaccine, either um, the Pfizer or the Moderna or the Johnson & Johnson. Um, the Pfizer is now uh, uh, FDA approved. So we're very excited about that. And hopefully that encourages some of our patients that had been a little hesitant to get the vaccine until it was fully FDA approved. Hopefully they'll get it now. I can't understand not getting vaccinated. It's, it just is beyond my understanding. But we're going to move on and welcome our very special guest today uh, from Dallas, Texas, Dr. D.P. Kalam. Dr. Kalam is a physician at USMD's Redbird Square Oncology and Infusion Center, earned her medical degree at the uh, Allura Sidmara Raju Academy of Medical Sciences, completed her residency at Louisiana State University Health Science Center. Dr. Kalam is board certified in medical oncology and hematology by the American Board of Internal Medicine. And Dr. Kalam, it is great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ron and Dr. Charles, for having me today. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, Marisa, she went and listened to uh, some of the podcasts and came on the show anyhow. (laughs) Well, we're very happy to have you. (laughs) Thank you. It was wonderful. Talk to us about, I know one of the topics that uh, you wanted to talk about uh, is skin cancer. We're, of course, in the uh, dog days of summer as we move into September. Still hot. Sun is still blistering in many places across Texas and Florida and elsewhere. And skin cancer still is a serious problem. Uh, give us the 411 on skin cancer. Uh, skin cancers are, you know, most most of our population, all of us know that melanoma is the most uh, aggressive kind of skin cancer. But to be honest with you, uh, it is the non-melanoma skin cancers which are more prevalent. More than a million non-melanoma cancers are diagnosed every year, whereas melanoma only accounts to 80% of the skin cancers. And if we catch them early, most of them, all the three kinds are pretty treatable. And the chance of them being under remission or quote unquote cure is 84 to 85%. And and the non-melanotic skin cancers, the basal cell and the squamous cell, are pretty much have very low chance of metastasis, that is stage four cancer. Which means they don't spread. That easily. But they can. They can. Now, I was diagnosed, this is a couple of years ago, with the basal cell uh, carcinoma, mm-hmm. a little spot next to my nose, uh, which 
had been a bump there that I just kept picking at for several months. Didn't think much about it until I went to my dermatologist for the uh, annual lubrication and oil change where uh, she checked all over my body. And I said, hey, do me a favor, look at this little thing. Uh, and can we just freeze it and get rid of it that I keep picking at? And she said, you know, I need to do a biopsy that looks like it could be a, a basal cell uh, uh, cancer. So we'll do that. Took a little biopsy and sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. That is so true, Ron. You know, most of the skin cancers, the non-melanotic kinds, are basal cell, and they account for more than 80% of skin cancers. They turn up on the sun-exposed parts of our body, like the face, the hands, you know, where there's a lot of UV damage over the years, and and where, you know, the it was not a culture to, you know, spray yourself with sunscreen and go out in the sun uh, several years ago. It is, it is after we have this knowledge that, you know, long exposure to UV light and sunburn that is putting us at risk for skin cancers. So that's- What that's causes the, the basal cell versus the uh, squamous cell versus the melanoma? So pretty much, all three skin cancers, you know, if you see the most common cause is sun exposure, that's sunburns and blistering. Uh, and the most common cause for young population, although it was called a disease of old age in the past, is tanning beds. Who in the world would use a tanning bed other than a <laughs> former president? <laughs> you know those those can cause a good amount of skin damage you know that's the highest I mean, amount of skin wow. damage now stay with me just a minute for folks who may have just joined us and want to let you know you're listening to wellmet radio i'm ron aaron along with our co-host dr marisa charles and we're talking on our wellmet radio hotline from deep in the heart of dallas texas with dr deepi kalam who is a oncologist specializing in hematology infusion and more we're talking about skin cancers uh, and, and what causes them. Uh, and let me come back to tanning beds because uh, they're still around. There's still people who use them. And Dr. Kalam, there are folks who uh, will spend a lot of time uh, in, in, in those beds. Is there any way to protect yourself other than don't do it? I would say don't do it. The tanning beds are a big no-no because that's what WHO pretty much predicted. The rays in non-melanotic skin cancers in young population between 30 and 39 is pretty much because of the beautiful tanning beds. Which causes it's all about so vanity. Much. I mean, I, yeah. that's all it is. It's got nothing to do with anything else. And Dr. Charles, when you were growing up in Zapata, Texas, a lot of sun down there. Uh, Definitely. Were all of you young girls going to the pool and sunbathing? You know, I do remember, um, I mean, this was what, 20, 30 years ago, um, right. you know, back when we were kids. Um, yeah, we would go outside. We wanted to get that tan look on our legs and on our faces. And so we would absolutely spend time outside. I don't remember starting to use uh, sunscreen regularly until maybe the past 10 years or so when, you know, learning more about um, the skin cancers and the danger there. And as much more of that information came out. Um, that, you know, nowadays, like I took my kids to the beach this summer and I had them in long sleeves and I had them in those, um, lots of sunscreen. They're like white from the, from the sunscreen on their faces. Um, because you know, those lessons have been learned. And so we don't want to repeat those, um, same mistakes that were made by our generation and, and the ones before us. So, um, 
just to ask Dr. Um, Column, um, as far as predisposing factors, like what groups of people are more likely to develop skin cancers? So the most uh, common uh, population groups who encounter skin cancers are, you know, fair skin individuals, red hair, blonde hair, light eyes. So those are the most common demographic uh, population who experience, you know, direct sunburns and, you know, they have more at risk to develop these skin cancers. I can remember when I was a kid coming back to what Dr. Charles was saying a few minutes ago. This is 60 plus years ago. Uh, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the minute the sun started coming out in April, we dashed to the backyard, slather Vaseline on our faces, hold up a cardboard wrapped with aluminum foil so the sun reflected even greater onto our faces. Uh, and, and thinking about that now, uh, we were crazy, but we didn't know. I mean, know. it was right. We didn't know. And it definitely got you the results you wanted, I'm sure. With the nice yeah, tan, skin cancer later in life would be one and thing, skin right? Skin cancer later. <laughs> so, if if somebody notices a mole on their body, what are some concerning features that would make you want to show that to your doctor for uh, further examination? Sure, definitely. If it's a new spot on the body, you know, you have not noticed in several years or since you're a young person, if it has grown larger than what it was previously if it is rough to touch if it is fleshy or you know angry looking if they're like you know if they can notice any uh, blood vessels and if they're hard to feel then all all these molds may not be painful they can be completely painless but these are some of those signs you know we should stand up and say hey this needs a specialist we need to go to our primary care doctor or a dermatologist. So these are some of the important signs we need to look for. And of course, most of us can't see our backs. Even trying to look in a mirror, you don't see the back. And if you don't have a significant other who can check your back out, uh, that's something, uh, if they don't do it automatically, you should ask uh, your PCP to take a peek, mm -hmm. right? That Absolutely. Is some some other features, maybe if it's very darkly pigmented, I think, you know, sometimes we'll see some marks that are a little bit questionable. Um, if they're very asymmetric, I think that's another thing to be concerned about. And then, of course, if it's changing or growing, then we really need to know about that particular skin lesion. And sometimes they are benign. Like I've had, you know, there's certain skin conditions, for example, there's lesions called seborrheic keratosis that a lot of patients get very worried about because they can be, they can get pretty big and they can be dark and kind of funky looking. Um, but there are some that are benign and then there's some that actually have malignant characteristics. And so bringing up all those skin lesions to your doctor is always a good idea. And, and when you think about it, are, are some people, and we'll get the answer in just a minute, uh, more susceptible to having skin tags than others? And uh, is skin tag just a throwaway line for the kind of bumps that we ought to worry about? You're listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Dr. Marisa Charles, with us on our WellMed Radio hotline from Dallas, Texas, at the USMD Redbird Square Oncology and Infusion Center. We're talking with Dr. Deepti Kalam, and we're delighted to have her on board. This is WellMed Radio. 
Imagine getting control of your chronic health conditions. For 30 years, WellMed has helped patients with diabetes, heart disease, and other special care needs to live as healthy as possible. We want to be on your journey to take control of your health. Choosing a chronic special needs Medicare Advantage plan may offer more benefits for your unique health needs and can put you with the WellMed network of doctors. Learn more at discoverwellmed.com or call 866-292-0375. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us right here on WellMed Radio. I'm oh. Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marisa Charles, with us on our WellMed Radio hotline, Dr. Deepi Kalam. Uh, she is an oncologist and a specialist in the kinds of issues we're talking about. And at the moment, it's skin cancer. And I was asking uh, Dr. Kalam about skin tags. I'm a guy who seems to sprout them uh, everywhere, arms, across my chest, uh, on my legs, what are they? And are they a sign of perhaps a risk for cancer? I would not say that all skin tags are a risk for cancer. But, you know, like we talked about, any any change in, you know, pigmentation, asymmetry, or if, you know, there's a genetic condition, some people are predisposed to these multiple skin tags uh, all their life. You know, that means they have a predisposition for skin cancer and they should be under surveillance. It's not a random skin tag. They are, they, there's a genetic condition where people can have lots of skin tags. That means that their skin turnover is pretty high and they would need an annual surveillance by the primary care physician or a dedicated dermatologist. And not all skin cancers, as you say, are cancerous. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't hurt to get them all checked. That That's absolutely right. Well, take us the next step if you're diagnosed with any of the three major skin cancers. Uh, what is the diagnosis and the treatment? So to put all these skin cancers in a simplified version, I would say that all skin cancers are categorized between stage zero, where the disease is confined to the top layer of the skin. And where you can, melanoma arises from a special cell called melanocyte, whereas squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma arises from a special cell called uh, the keratinocyte in the epidermis. So when the cancer is just confined to the top layer, it's a very early stage. And it's spread to other parts of the body, like away from the skin, into the lymph nodes, the tissue, and the bone. That's stage four. So that's where the diagnosis comes into play. Whenever there's an area that's of concern, the physician usually takes a piece of the tissue and examines it under a microscope. And it usually takes a week's time for the results to come back to let us know what is the depth of the cancer and what are the high-risk features in that tissue that gives the physician an idea whether this cancer is completely confined to the skin where you can use local therapies like you know if it's just onto the top superficial layer you freeze it you put topical ointments you can use small procedures where they can cut the top layers of the skin without causing much of a cosmetic damage when if it's involving the multiple layers of the skin we would need to use special techniques like the most surgery where there are specialized dermatologists who can perform this 
uh, fine surgery where they can bring about great cosmetic results and take out the big pieces of the skin and they heal pretty beautifully and you know that does not leave behind any any scar tissue on the superficial skin now i had the most procedure yeah. uh, to remove my uh, basal cell uh carcinoma uh and the dermatologist surgeon uh did all the cutting in the crease i'm showing you here but people on the radio can't see it but the little crease uh from your nose down to your mouth and the scar is invisible there you go. You um, got the most beautiful cosmetic outcome with the most yeah. surgery. Yeah, plastic surgery amazing. without paying for it, right? <laughs> a little lift, perhaps, Ron? Well, I asked um, if he could do a little liposuction while he was in there. <laughs> and he said, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised how many people ask for that. But no, uh, they're not going to do that. No. Nope. Now, the, the most dangerous of the skin cancers is the melanoma. Uh, and uh, I, I have a, a daughter-in-law who had a melanoma on a leg on her calf, uh, and they uh, literally had to go in and take out a big chunk of her calf in order to get it all. And I wonder how typical is it that that melanoma can go so deep? So most of the melanomas, eight, you will be surprised that 84% are pretty much, you know, localized in that particular area where they find it. It's only 9% that can go pretty deep. And less than 4% are spread outside the skin to other areas of the body. So if, to be honest with you, even the most aggressive skin cancers, if we take notice of them and, you know, and get them to attention, we can, we can do a good um, job of controlling it and, you know, just doing um, a deeper tissue excision or local therapies, even for melanoma. But at the same time, if they're, you know, spread also, we have great treatment options for melanoma. We have biologics, we have immunotherapy, we have targeted therapy. So it's, it's so, yeah. So with melanoma, if it is past that epidermal layer, so it's metastasized somewhere, so no longer stage zero, um, do most of those patients end up needing chemotherapy or like you said, these other um, newer therapies that are available? That that is that is true, Dr. Charles. You know, once it's spread beyond the epidermis to the deeper layers, we do a procedure, you know, most dermatologists uh, request uh, the biopsy of the lymph nodes involving that area where they find the melanoma and they check to see if there is metastasis. At that point, uh, it's a very crucial part for melanoma because if it's spread beyond the state zero and the epidermis, we have a uh, great new research and data that, you know, we have biologics, we have targeted therapy, we have immunotherapy that that pretty much, you know, renders the patient disease-free for a good period of time. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, definitely some improvements that have been made in the treatment for melanoma. In the past, you know, once it was diagnosed that melanoma was beyond, you know, the superficial layers. It was a pretty much a death sentence. But over the last 10 years, it's been a huge revolution. And who are the specialists who will treat those uh, more serious skin cancers, the melanoma? Is it your run-of-the-mill? I don't mean to say run-of-the-mill, but uh, does it take special training for a dermatologist to have that skill? 
So definitely, you know, all cancers are multidisciplinary. It involves a good team of, you know, a dermatologist who specializes in skin cancers and a good medical oncologist who can, you know, they can, they can provide input to see if it's a stage where they would have to give the biologic support or targeted support or immunotherapy support. So it's a interdisciplinary and a multidisciplinary approach benefits beyond the initial layers of the skin. What attracted you to your specialty to, to go into oncology and hematology? Uh, there usually is a reason when, when doctors make that kind of choice. A very deep desire to change the course of the disease process, you know, to help patients. That's beautiful. Cure, you know, if, if I can provide them with cure, not, it cannot get any better, you know. If it's not possible, I want to give them that quality of life, that that time in this world that is, you know, uh, where they can connect with their family and their loved ones and with the new technology and research and, uh, you know, these revolutions at every corner. I want to give them everything that's possible, biologics, immunotherapy, anything that's available to provide them with that time that they would want to enjoy. And then how do you keep up with the advancements and, as you say, all the new developments in that field, a lot of reading, a lot of study. You know, it's collaboration. I feel like, you know, it's we have to understand that, you know, we have to be up to date, we have to read, but at the same time, to have a, a good collaboration with different subspecialists, the radiation oncologists, the surgical oncologists, the medical oncologists. It's, it's a collaboration and team effort that would always bring great outcomes for at least in the field of cancer, definitely. And before we finish up, um, we always want to talk about prevention. So what are the recommendations that you give to your patients to um, really help them avoid these skin cancers in the first place? So the most easiest thing, and it's available for everybody, a good sunscreen. A good sunscreen of SPF of 15 at least, you know, every day. 30 minutes before we expose ourselves to the sun. And if we are planning on, you know, staying out in the sun for prolonged periods of time, at least SPF of 30 for 30 minutes before going out. And I cannot emphasize more, you know, avoid tanning beds. Avoid <laughs> those really? darn tanning beds. So yes. sunscreen and avoiding the, the excessive UV exposure. Because Great. the damage it creates is, you know, is, is repairable because you're basically trying to cause those UV light to damage those keratinocytes and melanocytes sitting on the surface of the skin. And wear a hat. Exactly. Wear a a hat, wide right? brimmed hat with decorations, flowers, bells, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> now, before we let you go, is there anything we haven't asked you that uh, you'd like to add as we uh, take a look at skin cancers in general and specifically? If we see something on our body that we haven't seen in the last couple of months, do not hesitate to bring it to the attention of a physician or a provider so that, you know, we, we can give them an expert, you know, look and say whether this needs further attention or not. Do not ignore any change on the skin. And Dr. Charles, in your practice, I'm sure you, you look at your patient's skin, you take a look, and, and uh, are there things that you treat, and how do you know when to refer uh, to a dermatologist? 
I mean, it depends on size and it depends on location, but most areas we can do like a punch biopsy or a shave biopsy in the office to at least get a preliminary idea of what we're dealing with. And then from there, if it does turn out to be cancerous, for example, then we know where to send them off to if we're going to send them to the dermatologist versus a Mohs surgeon, um, you know, to get further uh, treatment. Now, sometimes we remove the whole thing, you know, there in the office, and it's completely excised and no further treatment is needed. And those are the best situations. But if we're not sure, we just take off a little piece and get the, the tissue diagnosis, and then we know where to send them. And how do you know when to cut or when to use that uh, can of freezing juice? So again, it depends. It's years of experience and looking at the different skin lesions, but there's some that we know have um, less tendency to, um, to spread. For example, there's actinic keratosis, little rough patches that we can freeze very easily. Um, but there are some that just by the look of them, you know that they have some concerning characteristics and then we end up doing the biopsies instead. That's cool. I appreciate it. And, and Dr. Kalam, thank you so much for being with us. We've enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much for having me. And we learn stuff and that's always good. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. Bye-bye. Dr. D.P. Kalam. A, an oncologist and infusion specialist at USMD Redbird Square Oncology and Infusion Center in Dallas, Texas. For Dr. Maurice Charles, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us right here on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio. Imagine feeling and staying your best. If you have Medicare and Medicaid and live with day-to-day -day health issues, WellMed can help. Our care model can prevent problems before they start, so you stay healthy as possible. Dual special needs Medicare Advantage plans may offer services you don't get today and at lower out-of-pocket costs. Get lower prescription drug costs, dental and hearing services, and much more. To learn more, visit discoverwellmed.com or call 866-292-0375.